Hello there, welcome to the Law Blacks one-to-one podcast. My name's Chris Allen, I'm the managing partner of Black Solicitors. I've worked in West Yorkshire now for over 25 years, and during that time I've met some very interesting characters and individuals, and over the next few weeks I'll be catching up with some of those people to share with you some of their opinions, advice and indeed stories from their lives. I hope you find the interviews interesting, engaging and even educational. As ever, a little tip of the hat now to Pete Bott and his band Deuce and Charger for letting us use the uh, the music at the start and end of this podcast. Pete's got his own podcast now, so uh, if you're into drum and bass, uh, go look them up. But uh, Pete, thanks again. My guest today is uh, a contact of mine I've had for a number of years. I say contact, but I think he's a friend. Um, I'm delighted to invite Wayne Jacobs to the podcast. Wayne is a former professional footballer, and I've invited him in today not just to discuss his memories from his footballing career, but even more importantly to talk about what he's doing now and the work he's doing in Bradford. If you aren't aware, uh, Wayne played a major role in the creation of the charity called One in a Million, and I'm looking forward to hearing uh, a lot about the charity and what what it's doing now. So, uh, Wayne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Now, Wayne, I know you through your Bradford City days, as I think a lot of people in this locality do. Uh, more in, more recently, one in a million. Um, but there was a fair bit of football played before you arrived in Bradford in 1994. Just tell us a little bit about your background. Tell me how you got into football and tell me who inspired you and, and really got you into that career. Yeah, uh, well, as you say, Chris, I'm probably known as a as an adopted Bradfordian. It, I can't say that, but people in Bradford have said that to me, so I can't put that title on myself. But um, yeah, actually, I was born and raised in Sheffield, um, lived in the East End or, or an area called Darnell down there. And, uh, you know, growing up as a Sheffield Wednesday fan, really, in Sheffield. Uh, so that was my football connection. My mum, and, when I was born, my parents told me from toddling, I, that's all I did is kick the ball around. So it was always in me early and, and always a desire to be a professional footballer. But growing up, I had some struggles. My parents sadly divorced at six. I, I lived with my mum, single-parent family. I, again, sad to say that divorce is more regular these days. Back then, I think there was two in the school, two of us that had living with single parents. So mum, who I was living with, had a, had a heart problem and ended up having open-heart surgery. Uh, and I remember that impacting me as a young man and thinking, wow... But seeing that, you know, she'd had a major operation, slipped down a sword, mm. all the ribs in half to, to put a valve in her heart. And she was very honest with us and said, you know, this may last a certain while, it may last a long time. Uh, but then sadly as well, in my early teens, she she then uh, had cancer and battled cancer and uh, passed away when I was 18. So I look back and see there were troubled times for me. That impacted me in school. I became, you know, through the divorce and through mum's illness, uh, that instability, I, I was hurt really and I was quite an angry young man. But um, which, so is hard, which is hard for me to believe, Worm, when I look at you and know yeah. you as yeah, and I think anybody listening to that who knows of you will be quite stunned to hear that. How did you, how did you deal with that? Yeah, well, I didn't really and, you know, I only knew that as life. So that was my life. So I had this, which leads to my football, early years in football really, I had this sort of public life and private life so even at school obviously I had an ability to play football went on to represent Sheffield City boys went on to represent South Yorkshire and Yorkshire Uh, but all the time there was this fight at school of me being you know the school threatening to ban me from playing football and having those what they saw as a privilege taken away because of my behavior in school and that hurt and that anger that manifested itself you know I would be fighting and get myself into all kinds of trouble uh, and it, so it was a real heads and tails, you know, public side people. Well, it's good football, you know, people come and watch cup finals and watch you playing for your city and you representing your district. Mm. But it was a real struggle away from that. Uh, and life was very, very difficult. Um, but my father, although, he'd, you know, they'd, they'd split, I saw him every weekend on a Sunday and it was him who picked me up every Sunday, took me to football local, starting with a local team yeah. and progressing through into into, as I say, representing the city and the district. 
Um, so, so that was my sort of background. But a, a Sheffield Wednesday fan, yeah, in a city that's got two sides, <laughs> <laughs> and ultimately played for Wednesday early yeah. days. Yeah, so if we went, one of the questions I have to say, to people, if I went back in time and met you that day when you were signed yeah. for Sheffield Wednesday, yeah, how did you? Uh, what would you say to me that day? Obviously, a, a Sheffield Wednesday fan, and then spotted playing for Sheffield Boys by the, by a then scout Sheffield Wednesday. In those days, fourteen years of age, you could sign on schoolboy forms. It's all changed now. Yeah. Uh, so on my fourteenth birthday, it was agreed that they would come to the house and I would sign. They went to my dad's pub. My dad was a, a publican by then. Uh, with his then, my stepmother, he remarried, and uh, signed at the pub for Sheffield Wednesday at the age of 14. Absolutely delighted to do so as a Sheffield Wednesday fan. Now, I would like to think in this day and age, if if a young young man or a young lady gets signed by a football team, at whatever age, 16, 17, whatever, that somebody would take that person aside now and say, look, we're in a public world and there's... You know, challenges that's going to be put before you, and temptations will be put before you, and nightclubbing and everything. What was said to you when you were signing for a club in those days? Congratulations, well done. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot different then. I think. I think nowadays maybe some of that would be picked up on yeah. the well-being of young players, etc. But in those days, you know, you sort of it was the you know, I mean this in the best possible way. It was the law of the jungle. The strongest survived, and if you made it, you made it, and if you didn't. You didn't. There was many people wanting to be a professional footballer. And I'm looking at stats that say that you played for Wednesday, according to this, six appearances, that'll be first team. Yeah. But then there's a move to Hull where you played 129 games. Yeah. So, so that's quite a spell. Yeah, so obviously I signed at 14, at leaving school at 16. Um, I signed, they decided to take me on as a, a, a YTS back then. Yeah. <laughs> at first, I think it was the first year moved from apprenticeships to YTS. And the manager was Howard Wilkinson, who's well known in these parts. Uh, and, you know, we used to call him Sergeant Bilko, very strict taskmaster. The head of the youth was Mick Hennigan, who, who obviously joined Howard when he moved to Leeds United as, really? on his senior staff. But back then he was a youth coach. Well, they called me in at 16 and said, look, we're going to give you this, this deal, this YTS. But if we went on all your school reports in it, we, we wouldn't touch you really. But because you've been with us from 14 to 16, you've turned up and you've... You've done everything you can, you've worked hard, we're going to give you this chance. But they actually moved me from one side of Sheffield to another to try and get me out of my environment a little bit. So I actually moved into Diggs. With and hindsight, do you think that was a good move? Um, it was, but I guess the Diggs wasn't all what they thought it would be. We, we were still, you know, I lived with a, a young man at the time, a good friend of mine back then, Carl Bradshaw, who went on to play for Sheffield United, right. funnily enough. And uh, yeah, we were still up to all sorts, yeah. really. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it, nice but it was, idea. But the heart behind it was yeah. it was the right thing to yeah. do, and then um, you know progressed really well. It was straight in the reserves at 16 years of age, knocking on the first team. Took with the first team in a squad, quite young, and as you say there, at the age of 18, uh, what was, was the all first division? It was my first year as a pro. I play six games and I'm on I'm on the bench. And the num- numbers on the bench, I think it's two at that back then. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Um, but I get a call on transfer deadline day saying um, from Howard, you know, saying we, we've offered you a contract for next year. You're going to be in our squad, but I can't guarantee your first team place. No. Hull City wants to speak to you and they do want to play you. They're in the championship, so you'll have a decision to make. So that angry, young, hot-headed young man that walked in just thought, I want to play football. Yeah. So I left Sheffield Wednesday. This podcast is, needless to say, sponsored by Black Solicitors. Black is a law firm based in Leeds. We provide a range of commercial, property and private client services to clients throughout the United Kingdom. Obviously, I'd love you to enjoy this podcast and then use our services on any legal issues you have going forward. If you visit lawblacks.com, you'll see the kind words that existing clients have had to say about the services we provide. Now, back to the podcast. You're five foot eight, yeah, aren't you? You're yeah. not the tallest defender in the world. Yeah, you're playing left back even then. Yeah, what was your X factor? Was it you were very skillful? Was it that you read the game well? Was it that you were fast as a whippet? What was your what what was your thing then? What? Yeah, so I'd like um, one of the things that people said was obviously 
they, they, there's more stats in the game now. But so pass pass completion was strong for me. So yeah, um, didn't give the ball away. Uh, quite tenacious, and back in them days, you could be tenacious. You know, yeah. the old one where you could put the winger in the stand first yeah. two times before <laughs> referee would say, "Right, you've had your goal. Like that's it now, no more." So I was quite tenacious, uh, uh, and I think I, you know I'd like to think I knew my job well. I'd, I'd had some good coaches while I was young, and and so I could read the game, and yeah. that helped me to play numerous positions throughout my career. But I was a left back really, right. and that's what I was. So you get to Hull. Yeah, what's that like? Are the streets lined with people cheering your name as you arrive? <laughs> no, actually, um, I sign on transfer deadline day with Keith Edwards, and Keith Edwards is a returning hero. So obviously, all the press is about Keith, uh, and Brian Orton was the manager back then for Hull City, and he and he did well, really great man management because he took a young man and Keith, he let Keith take all the limelight, and he just he put a little piece out in the paper about myself. I did a few interviews, but it was all about. He's one for the future as well as now, so he invested in he invested in me really, and Keith rightly so established pro, scored goals all over a returning hero to to Boothbury Park back then, and uh, yeah he he took all the limelight, which was good good man management when I look back. Yeah, when you first walk into a changing room like that, because all you've known is Wednesday up to that yeah. point, how how. How did you approach that? Because did you walk in and think, I better just keep my mouth shut? Or did you think, right, I need to make an in- instant impact here? Yeah, that young man that was hot-headed and a hurt young man trying to make his way in life was never going to be quiet, sadly, <laughs> when I look back on myself. But respectful, I, w- I would like to think, but not a, a shrinking violent, not one who thought, right, I'll play my way in softly. Just thought, I'm here to play and let's do that. I, I remember, obviously, I... Been raised in Sheffield, I'd, I'd watch Sheffield Wednesday, so I remember thinking, well, the ground's not not too in a healthy state, and it's quite smaller, and yeah. you know the impact that had on me. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, this is a little bit different. But it was first team football. But it was first team football, and I have to say, the, the people of Hull, you know, received me really well and was brilliant with myself. Okay, so you played 129 games there. Obviously, you're left back. We're not expecting many goals out of you, but you get a few. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's a move then in 1993. So you're there for five years. Sounds like you had a, a, a good, positive time there. Growing up as well, I suppose. You're five. You're, where are you there? You tough early twenties. No tough, I guess. My darkest bit. Of my darkest time in my life, really, at Hull. Yeah. Even though, and that's you know, following on from that public and private. Mm. Um, so I moved to Hull. Um, they gave me £3,000 to sign on. I, I used that to put a little deposit on a house. Yeah. Somebody gave me some advice, look, buy a little property. So I bought a little property. It was when all the interest rates went, went through the roof. Uh, <laughs> so it was in... It, 15% it, interest yeah, rate. It was, a, one. it was back in 1988, this uh, bought a little house. The interest rates just shot through the roof. So I couldn't even have the heating on or anything. I'd sit with my... I'd go and get my duvet and, <laughs> in the house. But I had a girlfriend when I first moved there, but... Again, that person that's struggling to handle life, that, that relationship broke. And I, and I realised that, you know, relationships was a tough thing for me because in me that just screamed hurt. Yeah. You know, with parents divorcing, mum dying. It seemed anything that I loved got took away. So mm. I stopped loving it. And I didn't realise that. So I put this barrier up. So relationships were never going to work. I ended up living on my own. And so while I'm playing in the first team, and I'm playing really well, these, these scouts, mm. you know, reportedly watching me from all over the place. Uh, but after park, I'm I'm going to the local Tesco and buying a bottle of Bacardi and sitting drinking a bottle of Bacardi at home. Really, and it's really struggling. But is that quite a? You know, everybody everybody I think has this perception that being a footballer is a brilliant life all the time. But there's a lot of downtime, isn't there? There's a lot of time when you're not at the club, you're not training, and you're not playing. Is that was that a lonely time then for you? Very lonely. Um, when I first got brought into the football world, Howard Wilkinson rightly so sat us all down and said, "Look, part of your training, and this was new back then. He was very forward-thinking actually. Part of your training is rest, and your body resets itself. So I want to advise that you train hard, you train as hard as you can, you do all you need to do. But when you go home, you know, go home and get some rest, get sleep." Uh, and I think uh, again, somebody famous from these or played in these parts, Gordon Strachan. You, you know, he was the one that first publicly talked about 
why have you played so long, Gordon? And he said, well, I have a sleep in an afternoon, you know, sort of thing. But I, I put that into my into my own life. And so you go home, you, you, you know, you get some sleep, but therefore you, you're home. And, you know, when you're waking up in an house and you're struggling with things and you, you're struggling to deal with things, uh, I couldn't cope with that, really. Did the, uh, did the club have any idea that they, you were... Nah, because... You just kept it from them? No, nah, because back then as well, uh, drink was part of a football culture. So the manager would, you know, you'd usually have a Wednesday off. The manager would say to the captain, you know, make sure the lads go out, have a beer together, go and get some food together. Right. And obviously, that you know, that's good within its parameters. But when people are then taking that to the extremities, which often people did, you know, it's impacting you. It's impacting you again, really. Yeah. So it, I, it, it was a, it was a struggle for myself. Um, and I see then that in '93 you moved to Rotherham. Was that was that just coincidence, or was that a gentle move back home? No, again, that was shrouded in a bit of controversy in some ways because, as you rightly say, for a young man, they always say, "Look, you're not a footballer till you played a hundred league games." So I'd played the games for Hull, mm. and then one one day we're playing Stoke. Uh, They've got a throw in. They throw it over over the inside of my shoulder, inside the pitch, and as I turn to run, I collapse and my cruciate snapped. And so, travel to Harley Street to see a top specialist, and these words stick with me, and I've always stuck with me. Um, he said, "You may never play again." Wow. And and the life I was in and the the hurt I had was the final sledgehammer, because. Um, Obviously, I'd left school without any qualifications. I put all my eggs in the basket. Yeah. And the one thing that was quite stable in my life was that I had football. It kept me, you know, it gave me uh, order, really. I had to be at a certain place. I had to do a certain thing, and it brought some consistency. And mm. now, all of a sudden, the thing that you love may also go as well. Uh, and, he, 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 you know, he might as well have hit me with that sledgehammer, really, yeah. when he told me that. So I had that injury. Uh, and I had to recover from that. And it was during that time, really, that a friend of mine introduced me to somebody and that's uh, he, he prayed with me and I had a healing on my knees and I had a real peace about me and that's what made me look into what uh, is my faith now. So, yeah, Well, and I was going to ask you about your faith. So, and, and is that the spell where you became... You got faith, you found faith? I mean, the angry young man who was 18, 19, yeah. was he not going to church? Was he not no. believing? So, no, no. Right. No, not at all. And a friend of mine said, who was having some issues, said, Look, I met a gentleman last night who prayed for me. I had this amazing peace come over me. He said, it was incredible. I, I spoke to him about you and he'd like to see you. And, you know, I agreed to go. Really, we was in a car journey going to Hull. And I thought, I, I said, yeah, I'll go because I just wanted him to be quiet because I wanted to sleep because I had an hangover from the night before. <laughs> so he arranged it all. So I ended up travelling to see a man in Nuneaton who, who sat and talked to me, prayed with me and just completely turned me around and I thought wow, wow. Uh, you know if that's the case I have to look into this a little bit so that started the journey for me oh, fantastic so Rotherham how did that come about you're back on your feet at this point and, and you transferred to Rotherham yes no so Hull Hull released me my contract I, I, I was injured uh, just before my 23rd birthday uh, and in that summer my contract was up and back then there wasn't Bosmans or free transfers no um, but Hull should have and, and did have to look after you when your contract ran out. But I'd, I'd sold everything up because there was, as I say, there were scouts watching, there was talks of etc. My contract was due up in the summer. So I thought, well, I'll sell my little house and if I stay at Hull, I'll, I'll buy a different property and if yeah. I move, I'm ready to move, I'm, I'm all ready to go. Yeah. So I'd sold the house uh, and then... Snap, money goes. Yeah. Contracts up in the summer. No contract. No place to live. No, no nothing. I'm out of a suitcase. Yeah. And legally, they have to give you six months to try and get you back fit. So I realised back then they tried to get me playing without operating, and really it didn't work. I, I just collapsed. So I had to have the operation in the summer, and they released me on. They released me in December. So my official last day for Hull was Christmas Eve. Uh, and I had no club to go to. I wasn't in a state to play. Wow. So I had to go down to the... I ended up living with family in Rotherham, going down to a, a gym there and doing my own rehab, watching, listening to what the physios had said to me and the surgeon at the time. 
And obviously, a certain Paul Gascoigne had made the injury famous. So I watched his documentary and watched, what he, watched a bit of what he was doing. <laughs> what did he do, yeah? So it was a bit of that, along with uh, medics advising, but on rehab. And I, and I made a call. When, it was, when I got to the stage of rehab where I needed to join in again and have bodily contact, etc., I made a call to Phil Ensign at Rotherham, who he'd been the youth manager at Sheffield United. So I knew Phil knew me explained I know you are Wayne so great I said look can I just and I literally just wanted to go in and train because I needed that contact yeah I needed to be involved in movement um and he said yeah uh, so I went in uh, around the February time they and, asked, and are clubs generally good like that you know if, I mean there's loads of lads who yeah I think so women as well get injured are clubs quite good at that if somebody yeah. jumps and says look I'm living locally yeah can I come in and just do a bit of training. Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, a week before that, I'd, I'd kept in contact with, with Mick, and if I saw Howard, we still talk. And uh, Mick Ennigan invited me in and said, Come and have a week's training with us at Leeds, which was a real boost at the time. I remember having that injury and having a pair of brand new boots that I'd never wore, and I put them where I could see them because they were just the thing, I'm going to wear you again. I remember walking, putting them on when I couldn't play, when I couldn't even walk properly, putting them on and going standing on the garden in them in the boots just to think just to what feel. would it feel like so it was a great boost to go to Leeds for a week I'm forever grateful for that for Mick Ennigan and Howard for letting me do that Tra- trained with the first team it was great it all made me feel welcome I knew quite a few of them because they'd all been at Sheffield Wednesday with Howard before yeah. uh, but then rang Rotherham went down to train and they said to me look there's a reserve game this week at Wolves away will you play and I shouldn't have played by then I, I wasn't ready to play I literally paid that game on one leg really yeah. Uh, but did well enough that they said, you know, play next week. So I played for the reserves and they gave me a contract in the summer, yeah. uh, a year's contract. Wow. So And, rather and again, it, you know, how were you coping? It sounds like you started to cope with things uh, on the sort of the, the mental side of things in a, in a better way at that point in your life, is that? Yeah, well, I was on a, I was on a spiritual journey, really. I, I'd, I'd met the gentleman who, who prayed with me and, and decided... I need to hear a little bit more than this. So I was travelling every six weeks to go see this gentleman, and, and that desire in me just quickened. And it went, you know, every month, every week. So that's how. Uh, and I just go and ask it. You know, why did my mum die? All the all the questions everybody's got. Why is the mm. cancer? Why is there poverty in the world? Why are people starving? Uh, and he and he would never tell me to stop doing anything. He knew then I was drinking heavily still and yeah. all of that. And he would never tell me to stop, but he would just say, "This is what the Bible says." And I'd go away, and through the week, I'd think. Yeah, I'd reckon I, yeah that's actually I can see that now yeah. uh, and so that slowly you know it was transformational really and I guess during that year I had at Rotherham I was looking and searching yeah. and, and that's where I was uh, thankfully I played 40 games out of mm. the 46 yeah. in the first team I was runner at player of the year I pl- the, the nice thing was the surgeon had said look with this injury when you're coming back you might play a game miss a game train a few days after miss some yeah. I never missed it, you know, the healing that I'd had. I never, I never missed a game only through suspension. Sadly, <laughs> that yellow, yellow cards round the middle. <laughs> but, uh, uh, two reds, sadly, Chris. Two, yeah, well, <laughs> I had three in my life. I, I was going to gloss, two, I was gloss over those, but well, anyway, open and honest. It would be open and honest. Yeah. So. Um, a lot of Bradford City fans will hopefully be listening to this. You arrive at Bradford in 1994. Just tell me about how that move come, came about. Yeah. So. Again, you know, sadly back then that word in me distrust and you know not not trusting people easy. When when I signed for Rotherham and Phil, the manager said to me, "Look, Wayne, we'll give you a year's contract, but we're not going to give you a lot of money. This is just a chance to get you a contract and back joining and playing. But if you're in the team and you're doing well, I'll get you in at Christmas and we'll change your contract for you." And he never got me in at Christmas and changed my contract. And so at the end of the season, he said to me, we'd like to give you another deal. And I said, Phil, I'm not going to sign a deal. He said, why? I said, well, you didn't keep your word. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you, you promised me that if I did okay, you'd give me a new contract at Christmas, and you didn't do that. And I'd been, you know, the the whole thing had hurt me in the f- first place, thinking I've, I've given you three and four years of my life in your first team. I worked hard, and within six months, you've just thrown me out the door I wasn't mm. even ready to but isn't that the football world try. not it, being funny it is but you're still humans aren't you yeah. and, and, and I was hurt I was hurt by that experience a little bit so I said to I'd said to Phil 
um, at the beginning of the year, look, at the end of this, because Bosmans wasn't in it, at the end of this year, if that's not happened, then I'm allowed a free transfer. So I didn't want anybody to sort of all just have you there because they got the opportunity to, but they're not done right by you. Uh, so thankfully I had that wrote in my contract in a way. And I left, so I left, I have to say this, I had a wonderful time at Rotherham, mm. great experience, played. Phil was great. I don't want to make Phil out to be. No. Phil was great. And when I look back now, he probably just, you know, he said to me, well, no, he said to me, well, why don't you come and knock the door? And I, and I was, well, yeah. well, it was your word. All right. You know, so, you, you know, you never got me in. Um, so, yeah, again, that was probably a bit of that old self that's still working things through and, and still getting hurt quite easily. Mm. Uh, so I moved to, I actually came to Bradford and everybody thinks maybe that Bradford signed me from from Rotherham. Mm. I, actually, I actually turned the contract down at Rotherham, came on trial at Bradford. Right. So it was a trial period to start with. And who was the manager of Bradford in those days? So Lenny Lawrence. All right. Uh, yeah, so Lenny was the manager. Uh, I came and did pre-season. We played at Scarborough and they signed me straight after on a contract. So that's where, where yeah. the start of that love affair starts, really. Yeah. The club. And, 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 of course, a couple of years later, we have the euphoria of uh, promotion, uh, trip to Wembley, etc. But in the first couple of years, how was it in the first couple of years? Was, did, you, did you feel you were on an ascent or did you think... Yeah, no, by then, I, as I explained, I'm, I'm on a journey off the park as well and... Uh, decided by then look everything I hear see in my life uh, around my faith in Jesus Christ was true and so I gave my life to the Lord and invited him into my life and uh, started to you know I was reading my Bible and learning and uh, and so I was in a much more settled place and something I just knew inside that things were Going in the right, you know, yeah. there's a knowingness that things are going in the right direction. And were your teammates respectful of this? Because, yeah. Because, you know, when I think of you, uh, Darren Moore, yeah. you know, I can't think of too many people who I think, oh, yeah, they're definitely, you know, uh, Christians uh, and, 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 you know, outspoken, but, you know, put, put, you, put your, uh, yeah. your colours to the mast on that. It was a big how change. Were, yeah, how were, you, how were your teammates <laughs> with that? Were they all right? Well, it was, but, you know, me doing it and announcing it, I've gone from being, like, one of the lads that's arranging all the nights out and the parties yeah, yeah. and da-da-da-da-da-da um, to arriving at Bradford, having looked at my faith, deciding, you know, it's, this is for me, uh, and saying, look, I'm not... Some of the things that happen, I'm, you know, standing back from and et cetera, but st- we were still going out with the lads, we were still all of that, so... But, yeah, I guess I thought... What are people going to think? I thought of it more of now. You got some stick and you got the odd Mickey take, but you know, often the lads would come up and say, "I really respect your views and really respect what you stand for." So um, there was a bit of all of it in, and yeah. but not as bad as what sometimes I thought it might have been on yeah. what, you, if you want to call it, doing that crossover. Yeah. Now, in I could spend as <laughs> you went, I could spend all day talking to you about 1996. But um, ultimately, it ends well at Wembley, doesn't it? But um, mm. when I spoke to Mark <laughs> Stallard recently, Mark's fondest memory, and Mark was a striker, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, Mark's fondest memory is the second leg of the playoff mm. uh, away at Blackpool. So That's just right, tell yeah. us, just tell us uh, your recollections of that game because Bradford are two 0 down after yeah. the home leg, yeah. and it's a Wednesday night, perhaps, or something like that. Mid-week Tuesday or Wednesday game, yeah. night, pretty miserable weather. And you've gone over Blackpool. Well, yeah. If we if if we teleported into the changing room, ten minutes to kick off. What's the mood like? Yeah, I think I think one is that you know we've got to we can do this and we can prove people wrong. And uh, there were some bits that happened in the first leg that uh, that really provided a bit of that inspiration as well. So we get beat we get beat easily at home two 0 They're a strong side. Sam Allardyce is the manager, uh, but coming off the pitch. One of their players, uh, Big Morrison, shouts, we're just too big and too strong, down the tunnel at us as we're going into our changing room. And I remember it hitting me in the back of my head thinking, oh, that's... Mm, I'm not happy with that. <laughs> and, and as I say, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd come to faith, etc. And, and, and I just knew inside me that... I had, a, I had a knowing that, you know, we could do this and that it was meant to be. So a few of us, you know, we, in the... Hey, this ain't over. As soon as we took, you know, we lost 2-0, but this isn't over. 
chaps, this in all I'm telling you, let's you know, let's get our heads on, let's look at this second leg. So And you believe that? You know when people I, like, I mean you I had half expect to hear that somebody said that, but did you believe that? Hundred percent. Um again in faith, whatever people think I'd felt in my prayer life before that 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 year was going to be a successful year and I'd actually told somebody that and I believed it 100%. So that 2-0 for me was, all right, it's 2-0, but, you know, we go again. Yeah. Uh, and so we arrive at um, we arrive at Blackpool and there's a famous thing article that's been in the news that they'd got in their programme, they'd got, you know, all, all their travel... Um, to Wembley. Organisation sort of, to Wembley, yeah. So Chris Uh-oh. Chris Kimura, the manager, just pinned that up. There, there's some more motivation chaps. These think, these think it's done, done and dusted. Uh, and obviously, you know, we famously go on to win win 3-0 and uh, absolutely turn it over. And the amount of Bradford City fans that say, oh, so regret not being there that night. Yeah, maybe I one thought, of them. And for those that were there, you know, and all the things we've done, quite a lot still say the best night was that one at yeah. Blackpool. And what do you... Incredible night. Take us back to then, so you've won, you're in the change room going bonkers, presumably. <laughs> yeah. What, what do you do then? I mean, do you all just pile back on the bus and have a great journey home and then get off the bus and go home, or what do you do? No, so Chris... After the game, he, Chris is quite superstitious back then. I think he may still be. I don't know, Chris Kamara, the manager. Yeah. So he would never book anything in case of celebrations and that, just in case. Of. So we finished the game and we got on the bus and they went, right, let's let's detour. We went to one of the hotels in Blackpool and all had a few beers did straight you? after the game, yeah, just to celebrate. So and did you come back that night? Yeah. You still come back on yeah, the bus that still, night? we still came back, but yeah, went and, and had a celebration together. So that's that's a fantastic memory. Obviously, the day out at Wembley, which went to plan, didn't it? Yeah, I think, and and for me and for many, a, a dream come true. I think every young man and obviously every young girl now who is growing up and loves football wants to play at Wembley, the home of football, respected around the world. I, I, sometimes some some people who follow football their life don't really get that even professional players around the world want to play at Wembley. Yeah. So to play at Wembley was an absolute dream, uh, you know, dream come true for us. And obviously we win and it's a great experience. But for one little piece that probably people won't know is, and bless him, he's passed away since. Uh, we had a gentleman at the club called Brian Edwards who'd been manager way back. He'd played for Bolton in the, the, in the years when they were the team in the, in the country. He'd played at Wembley, he'd done all that. And he was such a humble man, he'd been kit man at Bradford and managed, he'd done everything, physio. And at that point he was a kit man and, and to some young players he was just an old man who did the kit. But, I, but I'd but i got to know him a little bit and understood his background and knew this man was, you know, he's played at levels we could only dream of. Yeah. And he said to us, he said to us, uh, as arriving at Wembley, he said to me, look, Wayne, some people get over-focused. He says, listen to me. He says, get your head up. When you come out of that tunnel, look around, take in the atmosphere, smile, wave to your family, don't get too focused. Take it all in and create memories. It was great advice, yeah. fantastic advice. There's a picture of us coming out of the tunnel, most people's face are really stern. <laughs> and I'm like this with a full up, up, big smile on my face. It was great advice from somebody who'd been through it all and, yeah. and a lovely man to boot. And obviously, really helped me. That day didn't pass, my, pass me by and I wasn't just looking at my boots in the yeah. grass you know, I took everything in. It was a great day for us. And the club, or my my sort of perceptual thing is, the club start to gather some momentum. Then, uh, yeah, three years later, you're still first team player, and that season has has, has gone well. And suddenly, you're, you you you've got a game away at Wolves. We win that game. Bradford City are promoted to the hard to say it almost Premier League. Yeah. Talk to me about the you know you're in before that game. Where are you? Where how are things going then? Yeah, I think great. Um, you know, we'd had as you say that rise from that promotion at Wembley. Finished fourth bottom in our first year, mid-table second year, and then we're into our third year. Um, so, in a way, Chris Kamara's lost his job just bef- the season before, halfway through. Paul Jules took over. And in that summer, he made one or two signings, which saw uh, Stuart McCall come back to the club, and yeah. he brought Gareth Worley in and Lee Mills, and just added some additions to that team that that, that just produced a team that was just fantastic to play in, and a great great bunch yeah. as well. So we're we're going to obviously Wolves last day of the season. They need to win to get in the playoffs. We need to win yeah. to get promoted. 
Uh, and so you can imagine, it's a you know it's a fabulous stadium as well, and it's it's a packed a packed full house, and it's a huge game. But you know we go out there, and at that point, obviously we're very confident in each other. There's a big trust between us, and we we know we can score goals. We know we might concede a goal because we never we never built a team on keeping a clean sheet. We built yeah. on that we'll score more goals than you. Yeah. So we we got down the walls, but we're full of confidence, and we know it's going to be a tough ask, but. You know, we go, they score first, but we bounce back. And at one point, we're three one up with a penalty. And yeah, that's right. Beagre Peter, Peter Beagre misses it. If Not going to miss if, that, is it? If, if that goes in at four one, it's yeah. probably the easiest playoff. Uh, oh, yeah. oh, sorry, the easiest game. Yeah. You know, we're all laying, and you know, but it, we miss, and they score again, and it, and it gets to that. <laughs> Ooh, this is close now, and they they hit the inside of a post to to equalise, and thankfully we clear it, and obviously. The final whistle goes, but it sums us up because obviously, as we just spoke about, we had to win a game to get in the playoffs in '96. We won it. We had to win the playoffs. We won it. We had to win the final. We won it. Yeah. We had to win on our last day the following season to Correct. stay up against QPR. Pepper scored, if I'm not Nigel mistaken. Nigel Pepper, and it was yep. it was timed at the fastest, you know, the hardest shot, all of that. <laughs> That's right. uh, so we got used to sort of playing in last games and end of season games that were big, and obviously. Again, we did it at Wolves, uh, and obviously the celebration. I think everybody remembers uh, the, f- the famous Stuart falling off the car. Sadly to say, because yes. he hates. <laughs> yeah, being reminded. Stuart, well, we won't yeah. remind him. Stuart, no, he gets shown every time. He gets yeah. shown every time, pal. But obviously, again, stood us in good stead for the year after, first year in the Premiership, and the last game of season again. Which, which brings me on to another question. I really want to ask is: is I mean, we're twenty years on now, aren't we, from that? But even then. To move from Championship to Premier League, did that did it change your life? How what was the effect on you? Um, I don't think it did change my life. Obviously, contract wise, it changed in the second year we was in the Premier League, but not to the sums of money that are life changing. Don't no. get me wrong, sums of money that you know more than an average person earns, but. It wasn't. If if it's from that slant, is it a financial thing? It didn't. But in terms of your own life and goals and, and achievement and well-being, obviously, I left Sheffield Wednesday in the first what was the first division as a young man, and my goal was I want to get back to that league, the yeah. Premier League. And so, achieving that was very, very, very special for me. After all, I'd sort of been through and. I had settled, I had found my faith. I had settled down. I'd, I'd learned how to handle a relationship. I was married, but yeah. our, our first child died six you yeah. know six days old, and uh, Sam passed away. And so there was all of that in the mix. It was all an emotional from where I was, where I'd come to, who I was, and just to achieve that to get back there, you know, was a real sense of of well being and one that life didn't always have to go back to. Forgive me for using this terminology because it means something way different nowadays. I understand, but ground zero. Mm. Uh, my life always seemed to get. Anytime I move forward, it always seemed to get choked back to ground zero. So that was a, a real flag in the ground of look, things are, you know, psychologically. Psychologically, I can approach things differently and more positive. And I, I had a, I had a faith that I was on solid ground and it weren't going to crumble again. And so all of those things were good. Yeah, good for you, man. Um, I know there's a coaching aspect at Bradford, Halifax and West Brom. I'd love to sort of deal with that another day. Let's just finish on football if we can with this. Who are the who are the biggest characters that you've played with? Uh, I mean, there's characters in the game, but who are the yeah. who are the biggest characters you've played with? So played played with on the same team, obviously. Uh, Chris Waddle came to to Bradford and you know he was a great player still a great player when he arrived with us scores that wonderful goal at Everton in the I was FA there Cup when, I we, when we knocked Everton <laughs> out the, knocked Everton out of the Cup so in terms of in terms of playing and you know he was wonderful to play with Chris and he again he, he moved us on as a as a football club and then the likes obviously I loved that triangle in that successful days with Gareth Worley in, in midfield at the side of me and Peter Brigid on the left in front of me yeah. that little triangle on our left hand side that they were great years for me yeah. really enjoyed it big character Peter yeah. you know good player score left foot right foot uh, not not a shy man by any means <laughs> very loud and you know just a good character uh, so I had, the, I had you know I played with some really good players 
uh, and it was a privilege to do so. But I guess in terms of leadership and respect, and I'd have to pick out Stuart. You know, he is Mr. Bradford City, really. Yeah. Uh, the fans, you know, he brought a, he brought this momentum with him as a as a person, and you know, he's just he slept he slept and drank football and, and Bradford City, and um, so character wise, you know, it was great to. It's great to have Stuart back and to see, you know, that desire and that determination in him. An age where I must admit, when he first joined, I thought, "Is this just a play? is this is this coming back to nicely finish your career?" Off? Yeah. Nah, he still had that absolute driving training. That win had to win at everything. Well, he's a redhead like you. <laughs> yeah, he had to win at everything, yeah, yeah. and it was great, you know. Um, so yeah, I think Stuart in that sense. Yeah. Obviously, played against some incredible players. Look back at the Premier League then, the Arsenal team of your Henri's yeah. camps and your Man United, your Beckham Skulls. He's an incredible Premier League. Might be biased, but one of, you know one of the peak times in the Premier League yeah. for me. And when when Man U turn up, I mean, I appreciate they they did us over most times. Well, every time we played them, I think. But you know, when I remember us being Arsenal at home. Yes. Um, you know, when they roll into town, did you as you were driving into work that day? Did, were you even thinking? Oof, Crikey, here comes Thierry on Nah, I've never felt like that. You've always had some nerves and I think they're good. But as I say, I'd start, I'd come to a place in my life where, no, no, they're here. We're here to win. So if we're taking, we're not here. What was it the old MMA fighter just said recently? You know, we're not here to take part, we're here to take over. We're here to win. Yeah. So I'd go in and think, no, you know, however we do it, of course, you're realistic. You're up against the odds. But however we do it, you know, we're here to win this game. So just approach it like that, really. And how were those super players with you guys at the end of the games? Did they used to hang around and have a drink with you or did they all just leap back on their bus and go No, away? leap back on... That was new to us, you know, back in the days, you'd go into players' lounges and all mixed. They just got to that stage where in the Premier League, players just got on the bus and, and off they went. Yeah. So that had all that, stopped, a, that roughly all stopped by then. So, yeah. Yeah, but some fabulous players to play against. Yeah, good. So let's. Um, I mean, as I said, when I could spend all day talking football with you, let's talk about what you did post football because you have created or had a big hand in creating the One in a Million charity in Bradford, which people can Google now and get lots of details about. Yeah. Tell me where that thought process came from. What was the trigger to do something? Great to think about it. Yeah. What, what triggered the action? It, it, well, it's quite simple, really. I was. It's 10th of the 1st, it's the 10th of January 2002, it's the early hours of the morning, uh, I've got out of bed and I'm, I'm praying on a few things in my life and just felt this statement, one in a million, land in my heart, totally nothing around that I was playing, praying about, just sort of landed and, okay, what is that, Lord, and just sort of unpacked a little bit. That was in 2002. Uh, I'd got very very young children at that point uh so i did what you should never do i guess sort of prayed and said to the lord look i've got a young family lord at this uh, this is a big thing when my youngest goes into school i'll turn my face towards this and and do what i feel is in my heart to do with it so so i went from 2002 to 2005 three years carrying a little bit of that that vision inside my heart uh until 2005 when I met a gentleman called Matt Band who was a businessman who had something similar in his heart. We sat and talked and uh, I'd left, finished my playing career, uh, been on a charity walk in China with Big Darren Moore, come back to a telephone message from Chris Wilder at Halifax. I'd, Chris was a Sheffield boy. I knew, I knew Chris, uh, played with him at Rotherham, played with him at Bradford. And he offered me the assistant manager's job which I took but said, listen, Chris, I need a day a week off because I've got to look at something. I've got to turn my face to something that's inside my heart. So mm. had a day a week, met Matt uh, every Wednesday, talked about, you know, what does this look like? What could it look like? How does it work? Launched our first project in 2006, in, invited some other people alongside what, us. What was that first these. project? What was the first so project? Obviously with football, it was yeah. it was a little football project uh, at it was back, it was called Grange School back, yeah. back then. Uh, on the AstroTurf there, invited young people from Canterbury just to engage them and to start giving them some uh, outlet for their energies and mm. positive environment. Uh, yeah, and just engage them, really. 
And, and my recollection is that that expands then to five areas. Yeah. In in time. Yeah. Again, based around football, but then I sense that it develops onto other. Yeah, activities. definitely. So, so that first project uh, is really interesting. You know, some people said, "When you're not going to be able to make a difference, the, the problem's too big." Uh, and so, for anybody listening, I've, just Google the starfish story. That was our heart behind it. That look, if we can make a difference to one, it'd be worth it. So we started, and the project had the first project only had you know we had seven uh, young people. And then it doubled to 15, 30, 60 within six months, 120 young people within six wow. months. So then we started delivering um, athletics alongside it and growing the sports side of it. Then we diversified into the arts because we were engaging young people whose sport might weren't necessarily their thing. So we added the arts to it, dance and etc. Then we started uh, producing a youth worker into the community at that point so that's our first impact into one of the communities and as you rightly say we we roll it out into five constituencies of Bradford uh, and we've grown to sports arts enterprise and how hard was it or and how hard is it to uh, attract sponsors and support yeah uh, I mean, you are well known in the area, yeah. Aren't you? But you're not David Beckham, with great no. respect. No, no. So you know, you're a well-known name, um, renowned for your faith yeah. and, and, and football, but your faith. So there's, yeah. an inte- there's a there's a good integrity selling point on that. But how how hard was it to get sort of funding in those early days? Yeah. So we we funded we self-funded to start with, uh, yeah. and obviously it's growing and growing, and we get to the point where well, we knew we you know we on the journey become a, a charity if things go as they, as we wanted but we had to do that in any way for the funding because we were just self-funding all the projects ourselves yeah. um, and I asked a friend of mine who had his own building business uh, small builders business may I say to one of the projects and told him and he said look I'll pay for you next he was the first one who put some seed investment into us really and said I'll you know I'm going to back this gave us some money and then from that point we started asking people if they could put us down, all our friends and families, could mm. you do some regular giving, a pound a week sort of thing. Yeah. So that's how we started to engage and get in some... And, and that some has developed work. onto the corporate partners. So now, is, yeah, so obviously that's 2000... Fantastic support. From 2005 to where we sit now, we've uh, obviously um, engaged corporate partners throughout... The district and uh, we're very grateful to those partners who are supporting us and Black's being one of those we're oh, very grateful I'll, I'll give you that, a mention Chris nice of you to say. but you yeah, are yeah. and we are and I don't I don't say that lightly because mm. obviously that helps is that you know those the corporate partners are set up um, as a as a monthly giving towards the charity and it, obviously income cash flow against your outgoings you know it's great it's great to have and I'll drop this on you but I haven't asked you to bring any statistics but roughly speaking since you started and we're going to come on to the school in a minute just in terms of the charity how many children do you think you've assisted oh into the tens of thousands really we we are um, obviously we've run different projects at different times so our numbers have peaked and troughed and all of that last year uh, we we cut a few of our uh, strands last year to concentrate we've created a pathway model now for our young people where we engage them that's through open access activities in in their communities into enrichment activities in sports arts enterprise and if they're if if they show talent and a passion and they want to progress further we're creating development centers now enhancement so some of our stuff that we diversified in just to help young people we've sort of trimmed now and we're really focused on building this pathway so last year we had we we engage at all. We were engaging 1,367 young people weekly on average. Wow. That's with purposeful. You know, we don't put out. If we were to take an assembly for 10 minutes somewhere to tell somebody about our work, we don't say there were 300 in there. All oh, that 300 goes to our figures. What we you know unless it means that they've been with us for an hour or at least in in, in engaged meaningful activities. So those statistics are there times that over the I guess over the 14 years I've never really sat and totaled I should do it and I should go back and yeah total it because you know previous years it's been over 2,000 
yeah, so tens of thousands of young people we've probably, yeah, well probably done, reached in well, those. Well done to you, well done to the teams. I know, well, it's, it's, not a, it, I know it's not a one-man operation. A, what, by, so. by no means. Yeah, yeah. I've always, I play my life in teams, I understand team. and yeah. You know, it's called one in a million for a reason. It's not Wayne Jacobs. Uh, we have a great team. We've had a team that supported us for a long time and they do a fabulous job. And then a few years ago, you and I had a conversation and it's probably the only time I've ever doubted you. Um, and you said to me, Chris, I'm thinking of opening a school next year. And I remember thinking, oh, well, I think I probably said, oh, good for you. And secretly inside, I probably thought, there's no way, mate, you're going to open a school. How can you do that? That's not easy. Yeah. So here we are now, six years on, seven years since the school opened. Mm. And uh, how's the one in a million school going? Yeah, oh, it's it's going and it's it's open. And as you rightly say, we're you know open in 2013, not without its difficulties mm. in, in in getting it open. It was a challenge to do it, but uh, it's open and uh, yeah, it's functioning. We're a normal secondary school. The school came around really engaging children, young people, and trying to uh, support them and break some negative cycles that are over their young lives uh, we were trying we engaged them at first you know warm safe environment encouragement and then realize you know how do we help them and start to get them some accredit- accreditation start to theme some of our projects uh, around social education to help them and so when the free school the coalition brought uh, the free school uh, movement in back then it was about working in disadvantaged areas with young people uh, small schools, small class sizes, strong discipline, good teaching. Mm. And we, we thought, well, that's a perfect fit for what we're trying to do. It's a it's the next step of what we're and, about. And so, if people don't know, the school is situated next to the Valley Parade Stadium, which is the old shop building, isn't it? That's right, yeah. So in 2009, we signed a partnership. When we first went out doing those projects, football, the young people, because I'd just finished playing, as you say, I'm not David Beckham by any means. But in Bradford, because I'd, I'd played in the Premier League, you know, people didn't know you a little bit. So when we went out and did the projects, we were, oh, Bradford City, Bradford City, even though it was one in a million. So I just said to the club, look, if you're happy, we don't mind. I'm not asking for a penny. Do you want to put your badge on this as a, as a, as a football club? Hmm. And you're at, we're out in the community and we're doing this work. So they said, yeah. So we signed a partnership, ended up signing a partnership agreement with the club in 2009 uh, for five years. During that journey there is when... Uh, it all happened and we we approached a club. They had a a, a liability, an asset, but liability really mm-hmm. inside of the club and it was perfect for us as a school. So we went on that journey of converting it and that's what that's what happened. Yeah. And here we are with... So your very first intake of students will have gone right through the school now, won't Gone, it? yeah. So we've had two years go through. Yeah. 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 Right. So it's been a... Starting from scratch and... Um, look, my co-founder, Matt Band... Uh, led, he was the CEO at the time. I was still in coaching, as you rightly mm. say. So when the process started, he led on that. And then, as it opened, uh, Matt, Matt moved on, became the CEO, and uh, one of the trustees, Mark Hughes, who was a trustee at the time, we're all employed now, so we've had to come off the trusteeships. But uh, Mark Hughes has been the chair of that and helped lead on on the school and done a fabulous job. Mm. Uh, we're in a challenging area. We have a challenging. We have some. You know the young people are fabulous, but some of them got challenging issues, and uh, you know. But you know about don't you? Because you job, were a so. you were a lad like that, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. I must say that you know throughout Bradford and the work we do, uh, there is some real challenges. In mm. you know we we've had some fabulous news recently. One of the one of the reports Bradford is the most improved city. Yeah. But we still have to remember the the cold facts that you know we lie in the top five percent most deprived districts of the country we have uh, just under 40,000 young people in what's classed as poverty for us that's defined as what most people in Britain well below the average what most people in Britain would call unacceptable in Britain today and so there's some figures there that we that we are working hard and really want to change and so you've still got some unfinished business there haven't you there is yeah there is some we'd like to think in, in our district there's some green shoots of what's happening but we have to remember that in some of our areas, there's some young people facing some real, real challenges. And I often say to people, think about the worst thing that could happen to a child. And sadly, it's happening, and it's mm. happening in our district. And so 
yeah. trial pit. So if somebody's listening to this one and they, they want to support the charity or the school, um, how do they contact you? What's the best way to contact you? Yeah, obviously we've got our, our website there www.oneinamillion.org.uk yeah. we're on we're on Twitter one in a million underscore at the end capital O capital N uh, and then there's a, there's our numbers out there so yeah. please do any support in, in any way volunteer you know people come and volunteer on some of the projects people give a bit of time volunteering people like your organisation yeah. we're thankful that they give People can give a pound a week if they want to support us financially. There's, there's all kinds of initiatives, so yeah. we're very grateful to anybody who chooses that. Yeah, good man. Well, listen, on behalf of everybody, thank you for all you've doing. It strikes me talking to you today, Wayne, that you seem to have coped with the end of your playing career to some degree better than some people. Um, is that because you've been busy with one in a million? Do you think that has helped you, or do you think you were just... You were just, just your constitution is that you were you you cope you coped okay or did, or, or was finishing playing tough? Yeah, I think there's a bit of all all of that in. Um, so obviously, you know, as I said, I went on straight to uh, be Chris Wilder's assistant at Halifax. The same time I started working on the one in a million. So I had a purpose. Of, you know, scripture says this: without vision, people perish. Mm. I had a vision, if you like, I had something to work towards. I had something to motivate. But what was really interesting, and I couldn't understand it, uh, I, I was at Halifax for a couple of years and came back to Bradford with Stuart McCall. I had a period where, during those early years, I'd be getting out of bed and my, I would feel low. I would feel really low. I had no reason. I had my family, got my faith really strong, you know, pos- lots of positive things in my life. But something, I'd wake up and something was just not took me something to get out of bed in the morning. I have to get in the shower and pray and, you know, pray positively over myself and pray into what I was going through. I never really got to the bottom of it. I think I think what I'd like to th- look at is, and, and I'm, we're a lot better at it now, I think the PFA and the football authorities is that. Um, I look back and after the Olympics, the, the rowers that had won the gold medals had talked about the Pinsons and the, such. They talked about, you know, detraining because your body's used to hitting something every day and those heights and the adrenaline. And all of a sudden, it's not there. And so in those early days, I thought about, you know, do we need to look at when people finish detraining and creating a stable lifetime of activity? Because is there, a, is there almost a drug missing physically out of your body mm. with those endorphins and everything? So I still had some pieces to go through. And sadly, very sadly, obviously... You know, at the time, Gary, well-known in football, so Gary Speed takes his life and and probably not known to the public. There's a lot more footballers that was on the brink of that. Mm-hmm. I think I think he won't mind me saying, Dean Windass has come out recently mm-hmm. and said... Yeah, he struggled. He struggled. Yeah. And I was getting some calls from people. And I'm not the PFA, I'm thinking. Yeah. I'm getting calls saying, this person's struggling, that person's struggling, that person. You know, um, so I think there is a piece to do what it is and, and the depth of it, yeah. uh, you know, I think it, I think we do need to be careful. We do need to look at um, all of that thing of, is it because the limelight, are people, you know, is it because the limelight's not there or is it, is it something more, sim- you know, f- simple thing like the physical side of it, the aspect of it's not there and is there an effect on your body and is there an mm. effect mentally then on your lifestyle? So yeah. for every amount of, I think it's a complex reason why some people struggle, but again... I think my faith there really kept me through yeah, those times. Yeah, great. When it's been fantastic. Um, as I say, we could have spent all day on just uh, just on the football. I'm delighted we touched on the one in a million and what you're doing. I think it's, you know, you know, I think it's fantastic, and I hope everybody who's listened to does. Um, so thank you, and perhaps you'll come back and we'll do a, we'll do another one too. Cheers, Chris. Just hearing those those stories because when I met Wayne, I always think of him as the most level-headed guy, and it's very. Uh, interesting that insight that that was a troubled young man who who, who battled his some demons to get to where he got to, which is an inspiration. And I hope hope you enjoyed it. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please uh, any reviews, uh, preferably positive, are appreciated. Um, and uh, if you tell your friends about it, uh, we're trying to create podcasts that are interesting and help your journeys to and from work. Uh, and I hope you've enjoyed it. But once again, uh, just a big thank you to Wayne for all that. Thank, thank you. you.